the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. And welcome back to another episode of the Youthscape podcast. Uh, and our season, this season is called Into God Knows What! You are with me, your safe and companionable host, Rachel Gardner. And I've been joined by my wonderful friend, who I will give no adjectives to, simply Martin Saunders. You can fill in the gaps. How, how are you joining us today? I like the idea of having uh, chosen adjectives. I know about pronouns, but adge- having adjectives. It's a whole new area of complexity. Be a new thing. Yeah, no, I'm good. I thought um, we should do a little bit of life update. Yes. We're not going to do, I don't think we'll do dog update unless you've it's got big. It's going to happen. Do- okay, we might do dog update, but I thought, you know, for yes. those long time, long suffering listeners, <laughs> they might. Who love there might be a few people lives. who'd yeah. be interested in knowing what's been going on yes. in Blackburn. In Blackburn? <laughs> Can I do that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure nobody in Blackburn cares. Okay. How's it been going? They're very secure. Up north. Up north. We're doing good. It's going brilliantly. My son now says I'm thirsty. It's, the Blackburn accent is a broad accent. It's a beautiful yeah. broad accent. Yeah, so we're there church planting. And actually, Martin, yeah. uh, as we go to air... Last week, we launched. So we have yes, church plant. They've been there for what feels like forever, last 18 months. And actually last Sunday, we we as a whole church community got back into this wonderful Church of England building that's had to be like demoldified and sorted out and cleared up and painted and all the rest of it. And we as a community went in on Sunday and we, I, I know numbers aren't everything, yes. but this will give you a little picture. We bought 230 chairs and our lovely warden standing on the door clicked into the space 237 people <laughs> so i mean not all the chairs are full because kids sit around the back yeah, and on, the, yeah. on the floor and stuff that's amazing that and those were but you were saying to me those yes. were people yes. from your community yeah i mean sometimes you think of a church plant is the first thing that happens and so it tends to be lots of friends and family and other christians that want to support it which is absolutely brilliant and a great way to launch a church i think people are so fed up with yeah. us that basically you only come to st luke's blackburn if you are local and you're invested in the mission or you're off the estate and it was our local people there That's it was brilliant. just utterly brilliant and i think the exciting thing is isn't it that folks walked in and went what is it there's lots of people here there's lots of young people and children and old people and all different sorts of people. Is this church? And it's really nice, isn't it? When you're like, yeah, this is this is what church is. I, I got so the privilege buzzing. earlier of overhearing you talking to someone, oh, a teacher at your at your oh, daughter's yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. And you were 100%. I just want people to know that you were 100% the Rachel Gardner <laughs> that we know and love on this podcast mm. on the phone to her. You were like, this is my opportunity to encourage you yes. in your PE teaching, your career, yeah. you know, you were empowering you were encouraged that would have that would have enfolded her in love I, as she started I her anybody, day i imagine enfolding them absolutely it no. was great i love it it's good so you're loving being uh, yeah. rachel gardner pillar of the community <laughs> i really no i really enjoy it it's good and and it's what has been such a blessing to jason and i is you know, no church is perfect. And Jason and I have our many levels of like not getting stuff right. But the team that we've got and the folks that are coming in, investing in what's going on are just, they're gold and they're from all walks of life. And what blessed my heart massively was our little community choir that we had on Sunday morning. 
was made up of young people, adults, and I won't go into details of, of who, where, who they are and what they're involved with, but I looked at the choir and thought, this is, this is the local estate community. This, this is us. This is who we are. And I, that, I just thought, oh, I love worshipping Jesus with this community. I love, I love it that, that these are the people that I get to grow in faith with because I think, I think they, they, they disciple me and they convert me on a daily basis. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, let's talk yeah. about failure. <laughs> uh, it's not all oh, been uh, no, sweetness not, and roses. No, no, it isn't. And I, and I do think, I do sometimes, did you ever think this? You think, gosh, I'm so old. Why do I not realise that I don't always know how to do things? Why do I still revert <laughs> to patterns? <laughs> Do you do that? Like, <laughs> go on. I saw these first. So our, our lovely team and I we were like, "Great, we're now in the building, and we're going to run Youth Alpha." And this is nothing to do with Youth Alpha. This is all to do with how we start stuff. So we planned it. We had flyers. We were in the school. These are kids that we know. We've been working with them for the last eighteen months. They're really up for this. We've got Domino's Pizza. We're doing it at the same time, at the same point in the week, with the same leaders. That we've talked to them. We've like given them little ideas about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the day that it happens, loads of them come and they they majorly, and I'm going to say kick off because they did. They completely kicked off. It was utter carnage to the point that the team were just stood around like, what, what, what is going on? Had we stopped and thought, Martin, it had been raining continually all week. Yeah. All the young people had come straight from school or the pupil referral units had been locked inside. Like, had our instincts kicked in, we'd have gone and we just get outside and play footy and get wet and do this another time but yeah. because it was in the program to do because we planned it and we oh, laid out the that's room. interesting we were like and and i at one point lovely ethan who was leading on it he, i could just feel him i saw that moment in his face like i either now just keep doing this and get you know almost like yeah. against the fact or we just go with it and say this just isn't my, the lowest point was when we had five of them in the lift enjoying going up and down in the lift very slowly how much of it did you get through were you it's just episode one was it I, we didn't even finish up did you get the video on we had some videos we had some discussion and you always have some young people in the corner having great chats but the, the hilarious thing is Young people had a great time. Of course they, they loved did. It. They absolutely, they're like, yeah, you could do it again next week. We're like, no, oh. <laughs> we're not, no. But can we just talk about that? Because that's really interesting what you just said, the sort of the the slight shame that you feel at the idea oh. of, of of dropping your plans right. <laughs> and, and, and doing a social instead or something, you know, just having fun. I think you always think, oh, no, we should probably, we have planned it. So we've got to plough on. Yeah, we've got to plough on. And we're going to get them and say, guys, guys, guys. Can you respect us right now? Like all that stuff that you just go, this is not, because they're not actually disrespecting us. They've just been like caged animals yeah, all day. Absolutely. And it's just things, you, you can hear yourself, can't you? Just going against the grain. Sometimes yeah. if a group of young people are going in one direction, you've got to go with that grain. Yeah, There's no yeah. point going against it. Um, yeah, we've, ne we've never talked about the fact that um, lots of our youth work takes place after school yeah and we're having this informal education setting that takes place after some kids have been in an after school club or detention yeah. as well yeah or a sports club been so they've about. had been talked at all day mm. and then we get them to come to youth group and and say right it's time to sit down yeah, and listen about the toast. bible yeah, yeah. <laughs> some toast that'll fix it <laughs> And I, yeah, so I think it's good to talk about failure, isn't it? Because it isn't a failing, but it feels like that because 
I think you want to be moving young people on in their discipleship. And I think it was just a good reminder to say, actually, the best discipleship of these young people at the moment still is them orbiting our lives yeah. and us being with them and being sat on the bottom of the stairs saying, yeah, that was really tough today, wasn't it? I, I Let me tell you about how Jesus has spoken to me today. Genuinely, like those are the discipleship conversations still yeah, for yeah. our community. And we need to be creative about finding other spaces to open scripture and talk about it. But it did, it, I could feel for the team. They were just like... Ugh. we're back you know and that is yeah, tough it's tough. Is really tough it's tough now i don't need to worry about any of this anymore because i've stopped doing youth ministry no goodbye goodbye Get off the podcast. let's usher in the next host uh for a bit i've taken i'm taking a little break mm. so i is it not them it's you is it you it's not them <laughs> yeah exactly that yeah yeah um we just wanted different things i <laughs> i'm the um uh former youth pastor at St. Mary's Rygate, which is an interesting thing to say. So did five years, yeah. took it on for six months. Yes. Um, yeah. Stayed. It's worth saying that, isn't it? Stayed for the lols. Yes. And, uh, and, and yeah, still found myself there five years later. So I have handed on to the most incredible, with like the best youth worker ever yeah. now at St. Mary's Rygate. No, no offense to all the other youth workers who are listening, which is really good. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited to be handing on. And I kept saying to people, you know, oh my goodness, like, yes, you know, it was, it was great but she is so much better they're like oh stop being so humble i'm I'm not i'm I'm, I'm actually not being humble (laughs) she's just better she's just better um so really exciting to see that but it is weird for Mm. me like i've got my wednesday nights back that's odd um sitting in church on sunday morning this week not as a member of the team that was odd i mean i was able to listen to the sermon and and worship and not be thinking about am i about to get called into this group over here that's kicking off but were you actually still thinking about that oh i really wasn't you were able to switch i have i have switched it all off so um, i think the plan is to get back involved in six months time but Mm. as a volunteer Mm. Um, but i don't want to cramp well i'm telling her i I don't want to cramp her style. Actually, I just want a season of Champions League football oh, on Wednesday nights where I can actually watch the games. Brilliant. I will miss all the fun Instagram stuff, though, that you, you and Charles used to always do. So yeah. you laugh a lot on a Wednesday night. Yeah, no, it was good fun. And and I think probably my, you know, as I, this is very self-centered, but, um, you know, I think when I reflect on why I was in that role, it was interesting the timing of it because mm. i was there for covid and the stuff that we did during covid at st mary's was was really innovative and different mm. and and maybe it needed you know someone who had a lot of experience to be in the role at that time but they need a full-time they mm. really do need a full-time youth worker yeah, there and i was doing a bit so good glad stuff. to be glad to be rid of me they are so as the second episode in our into god knows what season we are sort of digging now into some of the different areas that we see on the horizon mm. things are beginning to shape the world in a different way and and today we've, we've chat with our friend Chris Kandai and what's interesting about this conversation is it's not just a theoretical conversation about climate justice about people movement immigration injustice against children children in care we're speaking to somebody and he was literally sat in his car in Liverpool outside the Labour Party, Labour Party conference mm. um, because he is at the moment occupying those spaces where he's wanting to speak to power to kind of um speak about the voice of the vulnerable, the immigrant, the refugee, the child in care. Um, And so we have this very interesting conversation, Martin, about not just what are the big things in terms of instability in the world around social changes and political and geopolitical and climate justice, but but what could a response be like? Do we just sit back as church, as youth ministers, as leaders and say, it is all changing and it's all too much and we have to pick our cause and just hope that we can make a difference? Or is there some uniting 
overarching message that kind of cuts across all of this that says to people in power, listen, there is a, there is a way of being human. There is a way of investing in the right things that we want to talk to you about. And Chris really models that for me. So this is when uh, I caught up with the wonderful Chris Kandaya and we began to talk about what on earth is happening across the world right now. On this podcast, most of the time we record people in in kind of very normal kind of settings in studios. And of course, when Chris joins us, he's sat in a car and I want to make a joke about him being sat outside an embassy. But then actually you're not sat outside an embassy, but you are sat outside somewhere equally interesting. So where are you, Chris? (laughs) So I'm in Liverpool. It's the Labour Party conference. I'm attending some fringe events. Last week I was at the Conservative Party conference. Um, I'm not a member of a political party but i think christians ought to engage with whoever's in power to try and do as much good as we can so last week you were in manchester for the conservative party this week in liverpool at the weekend i saw you put messages on social media about being with your foster children in the woods so i think that kind of tells us quite a lot about your life and your heart but for anyone that doesn't know you krish Tell us a little bit, what are you up? What, what, what do you do? What is Sanctuary Foundation? So I'm married to Miriam. We have six children between us, so three birth children, three fostered and adopted children. A long time ago, I started a charity called Home for Good to try and encourage Christians to foster and adopt. And then when I started a job working with the government, I handed that on to new leadership. So I don't work there anymore. But I now work primarily with refugees and vulnerable people through the Sanctuary Foundation. That's a little catalytic charity that tries to operate in the space between government, civil society, business and the academy. And we're all about mobilising people to be a force for good in the world, whether that's hosting refugees from Ukraine, trying to transform work, welcome and worthwhile housing so that refugees and asylum seekers get the support they need. I wonder if we could start there, not so much about what you do. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about what you see coming down the line that might be affecting those involved in church leadership and youth ministry. But if, if that's okay, as you're sat in the car outside Liverpool, um, the uh, Labour Party conference with all this going on, like, how do you stay engaged? What what fuels you for this? Because we, we, we know that you're involved with so much. And obviously, as we go to record, you know, there's everything's kicking off in Israel. And we know that you're so involved with stuff with Ukraine. And also in your own family life like how what does that feel like Chris for you to be you know where most of us are probably want to put our cover our ears you are leaning into these conversations and these crises to be good news what does that feel like for you it feels both a tremendous privilege and a, a real responsibility I'm inspired by Joseph in the bible and he, he was someone who didn't have a lot of power but used his voice uh, to help not just the Jewish nation, but to help the Egyptian nation survive in the end what was a famine, wasn't he? The way that he spoke up and then spoke truth to power, did it in an encouraging way, worked with a government that he didn't necessarily agree with. Pharaoh was hardly online with uh, all of Joseph's political or religious views, and yet he found some common ground and found a way to make sure that the Egyptian nation had enough food for seven years um, to help them through a time of famine. And 
he blessed Egypt, but he also saved the Israelite nation from starvation too. So I feel like that's the space that we're supposed to be in. We're not, as Christians, just supposed to speak up for ourselves and our own interests, but to be good citizens, to be great neighbors, to love God and to love those around us. And it's a fragile position to live in because sometimes it means you're working with politicians who you don't share a lot of common values with. Sometimes you do, uh, but you try to find some common ground so you can do some good together. Um, it can be a bit lonely because sometimes people think you're not close enough to the church or you're too close enough, too close to government. Uh, but when it works, it's tremendous to see the church step up and really make a positive difference in our society. I think you're quite, um, it's it's quite moving hearing you speak, actually speak about how that could be a lonely space. And I, I guess lots of us listening to this might not occupy the spaces that you're in, but we probably in our own life understand a little bit like navigating these spaces when people want to box you in they want to say are you on our side are you on their side and we see that within the christian community all the time we see that politically socially we see that at the moment with what's happening in israel um so what would be some of your sort of wisdom from the cold face that you've learned how do we navigate that as faithful followers of jesus how do we know what to get involved with how do you what's the wisdom that you draw on Oh, well, I'm in the Gospels all the time. And Jesus talked about being as innocent as doves and as cunning as snakes. And I think that's that's a really interesting balance, isn't it? Often we're good at being innocent, but that can turn us into doormats or pawns for other people. And sometimes we're good at being cunning, but that can be about being scheming and empire building. And so that, that juxtaposition of innocent as doves and as cunning as snakes, that's really hard to put together that we're clean, we're pure, and yet we're not naive. I think mm. that's that's really important. Mm. I think the other thing I, I draw from Jesus is uh, there are some issues he refused to come down on. And I think, you know, paying taxes to Caesar was one of the big political challenges of his day. Whose side are you on? Are you on the, the Roman side? Are you on our side? And they were looking to kind of put him into a box and he refused to answer the question in the way that they were expecting. And interestingly, Jesus appointed into his group of disciples, people who were on both sides of the debate. So he had um, Simon the Zealot, who was uh, part of the overthrow the Roman Empire kind of party, if you like. Uh, and he also had um, Levi the tax collector who had collaborated with the Roman government. And so Jesus was transcending the issue. He he was refusing to be put in a box, didn't want to come down on one side because he knew that if he did, the message of grace of the gospel wouldn't be heard. And I think that's a really tough one for us Christians to know how to be uh, getting that right so that we're not mm. just looking like we're picking a side in the culture war or we're kind of, you know, fighting back against the culture. But, but sometimes we're choosing... Uh, to, to find another way to transcend the issue, to, to model grace, dignity and truth uh, in some of these contentious issues. I listened to an interview recently with Russell Moore, who is now the editor of Christian Christianity Today, Christian Today. And uh, the interviewer said to him, like, when you were president of SBC, is that Southern Baptist, I don't know what the C stands for. Um, convention. Convention. And, and uh, sort of the majority view was, let's back Trump. And Russell Moore, you were the president and you very publicly did not back Trump. Did you, you know, what, what you know now, because eventually he left um, SBC, didn't he? And, and 
denomination. Knowing what you knew, would you do it again? Did you know what you were doing and not backing Trump? And he said, oh, I, I knew. I knew what I was doing. And there's been a couple of times recently, Chris, where I've, I've seen a couple of your tweets or posts and I've thought, he knows what he's doing here. Actually, you are saying, wait a minute, government, when you push that through, were you thinking about this? So, so, so how do you know those times, Chris, where actually I know what I'm about to do? I'm about to call out Suella Braverman. Or I'm about to call out something that isn't okay. Because there have been a few times where I've thought, wow, this is amazing. You, you do want to be listening to all voices, but there are times where you just need to say, no, enough is enough. Like, are you like Russell Moore? Do you, do you know what you're about to do? <laughs> Or do you do it in a moment of passion and then think, well, it's done. Oh, I stand by I'm, it. <laughs> I'm sure I get it wrong a lot of the time on Twitter, but um, I, I want to respond, not react. I, I don't want it to be in the heat of the moment, but emotions are an important part of our kind of personality as well as our, our political presence. So it, it's not just kind of cold and calculating. I, I think for me, if it, feels like you're speaking up for yourself you know for your interest that's normally a trigger that i shouldn't do it but if i'm willing to speak up for the rights of other people um and and put them first i, I think that's normally a sign that i'm onto something important so you know I, I was born in the uk um i've got a british passport but i feel it's important for us to speak up mm. for those who need to flee uh, war and terror mm. uh, in order to find sanctuary here in the UK. I think anything that uses dehumanizing language we need to call out. Um, sadly, there's too many instances in our history when people have, have tried to other the, uh, another group. So mm. you, you think about the, the conflict in Rwanda uh, where people were called cockroaches and you think, well, that, that's, that was a step towards depersonalization, mm. which is not that many steps away from genocide. So I think we've got to call those sorts of things out. I think the gospel calls us to call those things out. Uh, anything that, that you know God would feel is is um, diminishing the image of God in another person, we need to be really clear about. Mm. Um, and I struggle sometimes, but I think we have to make sure it's not personal. So I'm not criticising Suella Bravman mm. or whoever mm. the Home Secretary is or the Prime Minister or the opposition for something personal about them or, or name-calling you're calling out the issue yes. and saying, look, it's not appropriate. Whichever side of the debate you're on, it's not appropriate uh, to do it in this way. I'm finding the same at the moment controversially in uh, what's going on in the Middle East, uh, that the, the attack from Hamas into Israel is terrible. It's unconscionable mm -hmm. that the, you know, civilians being killed in their cars, in their homes, seeing terrible pictures of you know families being children being killed or mm. um, mothers mm. with babies being taken into captivity. That is wrong. Mm. But equally, um, an unrestrained attack on civilian targets by Israel mm. into the Gaza Strip also seems wrong. Mm. And so, you know, I don't think it's right to unequivocally stand with one country. I think we want to call all of us involved to call out terrorism, to call out brutality, and, and to speak up for civilians caught in the middle of this mm, thing. Mm. The, the average person in Palestine was not involved in the attack in Israel. That was a terrorist group. Yeah. Uh, and it's right to go after the terrorists, but not at the expense of civilian casualties. That's the challenge. Mm. And I think it's really hard at the moment to do nuance because rightly we're appalled at what's taken place in Israel, but we can't be blind to what's also happening in Gaza.
Well, I want to thank you as somebody who sometimes wades into some of these conversations on social media. I think, Chris, you give us a, a brilliant blueprint, if I may say so, of just how you navigate this in a way and speak so clearly about what really matters. Um, but let's step back from that a bit. You, you are sort of often speaking up about the voice of the vulnerable, particularly vulnerable children and particularly children in care. That's been something that many of us have known you speak so passionately about and many of us have joined you in, in that. So I want to kind of engage your imagination, really, or though this probably won't feel particularly nice. The year is 2050. Could you paint us a picture of what you think you might see in the UK if, if nothing changes? You can take that yeah. wherever you want, particularly about children and young people. Your <laughs> audience here are youth ministers, youth workers. So the year is 2050. You know, if nothing changes, what, what might we be looking at? Well, that's a, that is a tough question, Rachel, and, and I'm grateful for what you and other youth workers and children's workers around the country are doing to kind of stem the flow of, of um, you know, suffering and, mm. and abuse and challenge that our, our young people are facing. At the moment, we're on a, an upward trend for the number of children coming into care. So there's 100,000 children in the care system right now. And a lot of that is based on substance abuse, um, on people not getting the support that they need. So many families that have their children taken into care uh, were themselves children in the care system that didn't receive the right support or family backing or, you know, they ended up in some really terrible situations. And, and sadly, I think if we aren't able to turn that around, we'll see another generation of children removed into care mm. and the numbers going up exponentially. Um, and, and that would be very terrifying. At the moment, we're seeing you know, brothers and sisters separated from one another because there aren't enough foster carers. Mm. We're seeing the overuse of children's homes um, instead of family-based care. I can see that rising and rising unless we're able to turn things around. And I, I haven't seen yet from either the Conservative government or the Labour opposition a really bold plan to fix that. Mm. And so, sadly, I can see many, many more children coming into care, many more families being broken by, uh, you know, unjust systems. Um, I can see that reaching epidemic uh, proportions unless we're able to intervene now. Mm. So youth workers and children's ministers listening to this, we, you know, we... That, that touches a nerve quite closely. Many of us probably will have young people and children within our church communities, definitely within the local schools, definitely in the Prus, um, who are affected by this. What role can youth ministry play, either sort of championing the voice of vulnerable children to be an agent of change, to do things differently? Like, What, what would you love to see? I know you've spoken on this so much, but you've got an, an, a captive audience of children and youth leaders and church leaders, what what role can we play to stem some of this tide, this trajectory of increase of children being taken into care and all that goes well, with that? Well, I, I think there's probably three levels. So one is, can we empower our young people in our churches, some of whom have care experience, many of them don't. Can we help our young people to be the best students, friends, support around those kids that are in the care system and not getting the support they need that you know they're in our state schools they're alongside us can we inspire that generation to be involved and engaged with their peers in their school um i think secondly I, i've seen it and i've seen it in your life rachel with jason you know opening your home 
to welcome children that would otherwise have been in care to, to find mm. loving families through adoption, through fostering, um, and importantly now through kinship care, mm. so supporting aunties and uncles and grandparents that need their support. I, I think there's more of us out there that can do it. And I, I, I kind of, when I started Home for Good, the, the question we tried to ask everybody is, it's not for all of us. Mm. We don't need every Christian to foster or adopt, but all of us should consider it. Mm. All of us should lay ourselves out in front of God and say, look, is this for me? And, you know, it could be me on my own as a single person. It could be me uh, with a spouse um, or my wider family's support. You know, is this for me? I think that's that's a really important question. And all sorts of people have stepped forward. You, you guys have done an amazing job and you're great advocates. But, you know, it's been fantastic to see um, Tim and Rachel Hughes do something similar with their mm-hmm. family um, and others, you know, not household names. Yeah. Uh, who are on stages a lot, just quietly getting on and, and just doing an amazing job. So I think there's more of us that could do that. And then the third level, I think, is just being a voice, amplifying the voice of young people. Um, it's been my privilege to engage with the highest levels of government, mm. and often that's about getting young people to tell their stories in an appropriate and supported way so that they're the centre of, of the decision-making, that our systems don't, just need often we focus it on does it work for the budget Mm. does it work for the the carers does it work for the social workers the primary question is are our systems putting children first are they child-centered policies and decision making and and i think one way we do that is to amplify their voices to speak up with them and for them on social media and the news um in hustings you know Mm. here at labor party conference uh, because i think these these are the issues that need to be centre stage. It's it's our young people and particularly our kids in care that need our support right now mm. and they're often ignored and mm. invisible to the system. So you are often speaking to politicians, those in, in power, and many times you are sort of championing the voice of vulnerable or taking you know, the voice of those that are not heard. But, but in a way, Chris, you also kind of, you kind of represent the church and I, and I wonder whether when you speak to people in power whether they quite realize that the church can be a voice for good in these space like what what is your experience when you when you talk to politicians or you know business people or those in the bbc or another news outlets do they have an understanding of the church like you do like what, what i imagine you're doing quite a good job of just saying actually no the local church is not what you think it is um, <laughs> or even if it is a bunch of 20 old grannies they're awesome grannies that want to make a difference for ukrainian families that move into their estate in bradford or whatever like do you find that often you're having to unpick pictures of church or are you thinking oh i wish the church was better than it is because right now it's not good i think it's always mixed isn't it that that you go back to the earliest church you know even in the book of well the letter to the corinthians paul is unpicking some things that churches are doing that are well out of order you know there's there's incest there's infighting there's christians taking each other to court uh, and he, he, he's talking about that and he's he's not shying away from the really dark side of of the church's life because we're fallen human individuals and mm. we get things wrong regularly and there are lots of things that the church is getting wrong and and that can be in its political engagement and its social engagement sometimes churches are are inward looking we, we we preach sermons that are really just about us and Jesus. And if other people didn't exist, that wouldn't really impact the mm. way we preach the sermon. You know, it's just you, close your eyes, forget the world. 
and just focus on you and Jesus. So the church often gets it wrong. But in Corinthians, in the same letter, they're dealing with all the mess. He's also talking about incredible love. You know, the, the love that God calls us to, that he's seen in action in the church and he calls all the church to be involved in. And, you know, he's often challenging one church. Hey, you guys, you're doing a good job. But have you seen what the Macedonians are doing? They're amazing. So <laughs> he'll, he'll spur us on with models of good practice to challenge the bad. And I have that same challenge with government. You know, some some civil servants some politicians have had terrible experiences mm. with church. Sometimes churches have been, you know, only nagging the government about our issues. You know, what about Sunday trading? What about our views on sexuality mm. and marriage? We want our way. And sometimes that skewed their view. They think we're just another lobby group that look out for our own interests. But other times they see the beauty of it. And mm. I remember uh, I got a call on, on a Friday afternoon. I don't know why everyone always calls me on a Friday. Um, <laughs> And it's like, oh, tomorrow we've got 3,000 Afghans that are being moved from quarantine hotels, if you remember them, to 30 different hotels around the UK. Um, do you know anyone that could help us? And I'm able to go back to them and say, well, we're the church, right? In yeah. every village, city and town, there are communities of Christians that have two jobs in life. The first is they're supposed to love God. And the second is they're supposed to love their neighbours. And Muslim refugees from Afghanistan moving into our towns, they're our neighbours. Mm. And so we'll find you all the churches that you need that can offer support to those hotels as these Afghans come. And they just can't believe it. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like they had no deployable force. If they hadn't have worked with the church, their second option was the military. And people fleeing a war zone don't mm. really want to see camouflage no. military personnel they want to see a friendly face offering welcome. And I tell you, we had so many churches step forward. One lady was volunteering in a, a kind of lobby of a hotel and um, an Afghan woman came up to her and said, oh, I'm really not feeling well. Do you think you could help me? And uh, so she spoke to her. Anyway, a few minutes later, she is in a private you know, office room with a member of the hotel staff helping to deliver a baby. Oh. So, you know, at one level, that's terrible. Why didn't anyone see this yeah. woman earlier? Why didn't yeah. anyone help her get the healthcare? Yeah. But on another level, this baby from the beginning of her life has been touched mm. by the love of God through mm. a church volunteer who was there to help a woman in distress get the support she needs. So the church is amazing mm. because we're filled with the spirit of god and we're trying to walk in the way of christ and we're trying to honor our, our incredible father god and when we get it right we make a huge impact mm. to individuals but also to a nation and uh, that lies at the heart of youth ministry doesn't it loving the other loving the person that maybe in churches we feel we can't really connect with because of racial backgrounds or, or they've they're new to the country or they're about to give birth to a baby in an office or but actually when the heart is ignited for someone who is different to us. That is good news for the whole of our church community, isn't it? And Chris, thank you so much for just all that you do. We're cheering you on. And I do remember some of those moments uh, when you galvanize the church for that and for also people from Hong Kong coming from Ukraine. You've often been the person saying, come on church, rise up, be who Christ made you to be. And we just love that rallying cry. Chris, thank you so much. If people want to get in touch a little bit with what you're doing, so sanctuaryfoundation.org, any, anything else? else that's coming up on your radar yeah. you'd love to tell us about i'm addicted to twitter so follow me on twitter at chris k 
Uh, call me out when I get it wrong and spur me on when I get it right. <laughs> um, Sanctuary Foundation, if, if you're interested in supporting refugees, working alongside them, uh, we have a free course that would be great for anyone to do. And you can do that straight on the website um, and sign up to the newsletter. We've often got uh, things that we're asking people's input into. We've got a little youth council uh, for Ukrainian, Afghan and Hong Kong uh, new arrivals, just so that we can hear their voices and represent them well to the government. Uh, we've we've been playing around with this idea of something called the Great Big Live Assembly. Yes. Um, we thought we'd try it for World Refugee Day, and I'd, I'd have been pleased if we'd got 50 schools, but 600 schools around the country signed up, and it meant that we were broadcasting live to schools up and down the nation uh, it was me and a little lad from Ukraine, a nine-year-old lad was my co-host, and we went live to a refugee camp in Jordan and heard from some Syrian teenagers there. Um, actually, tomorrow um, is our one for Black History Month. We've got nearly 900 schools signed up for that. Um, we think it's a great way to you know, graciously talk about some big issues. Um, it's got a little bit of faith content in it in that I think Bishop Rose is going to be praying tomorrow. We're planning a whole series of others. If your local school can benefit, hopefully it will work very well alongside your existing schools ministry. It's just another week that the school doesn't have to worry about what it does on an assembly yeah. and they're handing over to something that's really, yeah, really positive good. and encouraging. Chris, that is absolutely brilliant. We can find out all about that if we just follow you on social media and check out Sanctuary Foundation. Thank you so much. Cheers, Rachel. God bless you and all you're doing. Great stuff, Rachel. Thank you. A uh, little personal story. Um, my daughter has just come back from uh, representing uh, Team England at the Cricket World Cup in uh, not the Cricket, the Street Child Cricket World Cup in in Chennai. Um, she's 15 years old um, and uh, and and loves cricket, but that wasn't the only kind of um, point of the the thing. So the Street Child. Um, World Cup, you may have heard of it, um, organised by a brilliant um, uh, charity, uh, Street Child United. They get teams from uh, teams of mainly street connected children um, from uh, across the world to play in this tournament. There's a football one, there's now a cricket one. This one was in Chennai in India. Uh, and so Naomi went out there for 10 days and had this extraordinary experience, which was was a bit about cricket. And they did all right. They got to the quarterfinals, lost in the fi- on the final ball of the quarterfinal oh. to Bangladesh. It was very, I was watching on YouTube. It was all very uh, exciting. Um, and uh, But it really, it was about the opportunity for young people from across the world to um, meet each other and have their voices heard. And mm-hmm. so her experience was very much, I mean, she's articulated this better than I will. Um, as a person of privilege, first of all, having her eyes open to the the life and the experience of children in countries like India, Burundi. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there are wealthy children in those countries as well, but these were very poor um, street-connected children in those countries. So there was there was that, that, that sort of experience of, uh, of meeting those people, but also the realization 
knowing what they are going through, that she has a voice that can speak up on their behalf. And so um, it was probably, for me, the clearest example I've ever seen of a young, of a young person getting it yes, in terms yeah. of, you know, okay, I, I am a part of this global um, this global um, system and I find myself in a powerful part yes. where I can make a difference and I can see what some of those differences might be and so she's already starting to think about how she can speak and advocate about some of these issues um, and so it was an amazing it was amazing the opportunity and experience for her of course it was you know it sounds like she had a great holiday I know it did does but <laughs> she has come back absolutely on fire for for justice and believing that the world can can change for the better um, that all of which is a, a, a sort of segue to talk about the um, incredibly unstable and complicated world in which young people find themselves where justice is pr profoundly on the surface for mm -hmm. them and they can see that the world that they are being handed is um, is not just broken but also might be unsustainable yeah and and so one of the big questions that we well, two of the big questions we wrestle with with young people are what does it mean even to navigate and survive in this world mm. and then also can I make a difference yes. can I be yeah. um, can I be part of solutions in a world that seems to be ha handed to me broken um, and uh, and I'm, I'm you know I genuinely see in in my daughter at the moment a, a belief that having realized how bad the world is she can actually use her voice to make a difference That's incredible um, but as we think about this um, this big topic of navigating the future, our, our sort of buzz phrase into God knows what, there's so much going on. There's mm. so many, um, you know, since COVID hit, really, it has been uh, wave after wave of enormous, historic mm. uh, challenges. And they're not going anywhere. No. The, you know, some of these things are here to stay. Um, and one of our roles as, as those that work with young people who are forming their identity and figuring out the world that they live in and their part in it is helping them have some sense of hope and ability to navigate that yes. very uncertain world. Yeah. Interestingly, when we think about climate justice and Poverty. I mean, Naomi's experience is that she also was recognising that for the young people that she met who are street connected, the impact of the climate yeah. just is going to be yeah. vastly different for them. It'll yeah. affect their lives before it affects Absolutely. her. I think the interesting thing for us is that we have a generation of young people who, because of the narrative, and you know, I'm, I'm not I'm sound like a, I'm a denier of, of um, global warming, but because of the way the narrative goes, young people are being told your generation will experience it in a way that, yes. that ours won't. So, but basically, this is our legacy. We've like messed up and screwed up for you, which I yeah, absolutely yeah. is is a story. But it means that actually, young people then experience themselves as the victims of the decisions others have made and so to unpack that to say even within this pool of young people across globally are being mistreated by this actually that the, the intersection of of privilege i think unpacking that is quite tricky because i think I, 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 we, we, you, the moment you sort of make someone a victim they're yes. quite powerless in that so we want to at the same time as saying our generation has messed up and screwed it up for you. We're really sorry. We also want to empower them, but you can make a difference. But that's yeah. very hard coming from the voice of the generation that have messed it up. Yeah, exactly. And saying, but actually we expect you to make it better. Yeah. But we're doing nothing. We're going to do nothing to release resources for you. We're not even going to trust that you have any autonomy and power. And, and so I do think though, trips like that that Naomi's had, I'm wondering what, 
could those other little moments be for other young people where they really, they already get it in a way that I never did at their yeah, age. Yeah. But it's that next leap, isn't it, into saying, we're going to have to start activating stuff now and we mm. can't rely on the adults to to be the ones to do but, this. You know, when we, we, we were talking about this last night, I think the... Uh, we tried to project onto young people what they might be worried and concerned about. Yes. The truth is possibly a bit different. Yes. So, you know, you, you were saying that um, actually the research says mm. it's not climate justice. No. It's the biggest concern for young people. No, it's it's the cost of living, isn't it? Mm. Because that's the immediate thing. Because you see your mum or your stepdad, you know, crying at the end of the day because they can't buy. You, you see the everyday decisions that are made. And I know as a parent. One of the constant conversations with my two children is, I can't afford that. I, no, I'm yeah. sorry, honey, you can't do that. I can't afford yeah. that. So they very quickly work out there's a connection between what their family can get and what and and the emotional well-being. So I think just climate it, it does matter. But if your fa- if your family can't feed you, yeah. if you don't get clean clothes to go to school in, if you can't go on that school trip, if you're worried that the moment you leave the door, you've got to deal with loads of bullies between this door and the bus, or there's someone carrying a knife, or there's something on social media, of course that's going to dominate you. Mm. That of course, and and so the luxury. I'm, I'm I'm using this carefully but the luxury of having the free headspace to think beyond your ego like yes. your, your your ethnic center isn't it to, to those on the other side of the world is interesting because you just and we, and we know that young people from listening to dr Gemma, young people are using social media locally yeah so this massive platform that that could link them into kind of global movements actually they're using mm. very locally so i i'm interested to see where some of this stuff goes because they care but they're dealing with much bigger stuff immediate stuff now there is a, a big kind of the, the word overwhelm has started yeah. to enter our um vocabulary hasn't it and and it's not hard to see why because there's lots of different um we're going to talk about intersectionality in a future yeah, uh, time, yeah. episode of the podcast but um there are lots of competing issues that are both justice issues we've got to care about other people and what they're suffering and imminent issues of this might impact me yeah so the climate is one war going on you know in different parts of the world is another um and it's it's really difficult to just not be completely overwhelmed by anxiety about those things the climate anxiety economic anxiety Mm. um, you know fear of something from war spilling out onto into my life all of those things before we start to think about the world uh, how other people are impacted those things are incredibly um anxiety inducing and and can be overwhelming for young people and in a moment we might talk about as well for leaders too yeah that can be overwhelming for leaders too absolutely and i don't know i suppose you and i've been youth workers long enough to kind of seen different trends around this and i'm just thinking about the little community that i'm in even our use of language needs to be quite because i I grew up in a church where we would have our regular services and then somebody would come in and we would talk about the poor yeah and we would be talked to as if they are this very different group now sometimes it was was because they actually were a geographical group on an island in indonesia but but I think those, in a sense, when, when we are, you know, when we're with a bunch of young people speaking to them about the poor, we have got among us, if we're working in areas of high deprivation or, or you know, there'll be, there'll be young people in these spaces who are just surviving day to day. Yeah. 
a wonderful gift is to help them really exercise their deep wells of compassion for mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. But actually, if what their if their anxiety for surviving is is mm-hmm. activated, it's really hard to get beyond that to enable mm-hmm. them. I think the other thing is I, I see in youth culture the little group that I'm working with the fear of weakness. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be weak. So they don't want anyone to know they're struggling, their family's struggling. They don't want to be the kid that is upset or owning vulnerability. They don't want to be weak. And so how do you position care for others without making out that person is weak and needs your help? So I I do think this is super complex. Uh, Let let me be a little bit uh, vulnerable for a minute. Uh, I I found the um, uh, Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine very very difficult on a on a personal level um and i had a very complicated reaction to it that i'm hoping because i can't afford therapy you're going to be able to help me um make sense of but i grew up in the uh, 1980s where we were still very much in the shadow of the cold war and uh, particularly the, the because of tv shows around that time movies and and a bit of an obsession uh, you know with it this threat of nuclear uh, holocaust mm. this 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 um threat of nuclear war happening and um and in a weird way that didn't make logical sense because actually i i i understand a little bit about military technology and understand that you know that probably wouldn't have happened i became really terrified that it was all about to end that we, the the russian uh, invasion of ukraine was this that was the beginning of the end and uh, in a way that felt totally um uh, didn't make any sense. You know, it was illogical because I knew the logic that cancelled it out. But then I started to feel this profound sense of embarrassment and shame about it. So I would then avoid avoid the news. I took the BBC News app off my phone because I didn't want to see updates mm. about it. Now, in a sense, that's like the antithesis of compassion, right? That's literally taking yourself, like turning away from problems and anxieties in the world. But I did not know how to deal with it. And then I didn't know how to talk to anyone about it. Mm. So this might be the first proper conversation I've ever wow. had with anyone about wow. it. Because, um, so, you know, probably not the wisest thing to do it in front of the millions of Youthscape <laughs> podcast uh, listeners. But but I, but I share it because... I wonder whether others had this, mm. have had a similar experience of being so overwhelmed by mm. a situation and then feeling, particularly as a leader, that you should be better than that, mm. that you should be able to be wise and 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 have faith and and see that you know whatever you know because you um because you're a leader you feel like you're not allowed to have the kind yeah. of that, that, that vulnerability. And so I completely, I just sort of disconnected, disconnected from yeah. it and felt in, enormously uh, shameful about it. So as someone who has absolutely no therapeutic training whatsoever, <laughs> I'm now going to wade in. Everyone's shouting, stop, <laughs> just honour him and affirm him. I get, I mean, on one level, I don't think it's like a compassion that you take a BBC app off your phone because they're, because I think it's, it, it isn't simply that you're getting information about something. You're getting loaded information that has a kind of urgency about it. So I, I don't know whether it was the fact of it or just actually you just didn't want to be caught up in the circus of the energy. You, yeah, there was yeah. no bandwidth in you for that tension rise tension drop but um but i do i do hear what you're saying you know when you're blocking something because it's just i have no bandwidth for any space and 
yeah, I, I, I do understand that. But it's hard, isn't it? Because you, you, the people, there were actual victims yes. who needed help on, yeah. on our shores. Now, now to be fair, you know, I did stuff in, in Rygate around supporting Ukrainian families and things. Maybe as a sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm overanalyzing myself, but maybe it was some sort of uh, act in, in, in penance. But, um, you know, I, 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 I feel the one of the reasons why I felt such sort of shame around it was mm. there are people who are dying and being displaced and all you're worried about is your own comfort thousands of miles removed. I, I, I do think that the, the way that we get so much news about everything, we actually can't, I mean, we can't cognitively cope with yeah. it. But I do think it does. I, I mean, I think what's good about, thank you so much for saying that, because I think probably most of us feel that. And maybe about stuff with the conflict in Israel at the moment yeah. is the same. It's just the, the horrors and the sense of powerlessness and and just, oh, the fear about what it might escalate to. It's just, it's just so enormous. And I, and I think... But I think standing in it and saying, what is my theology? I, I do believe, and we're going to talk about end times later, I do believe in a God who will make all things right. Now, that's not, in the past, that was used to paper over yeah. a church doing nothing about the climate or the environment or anything. Yeah. But I do believe justice will happen. I also believe that a cup of water given in the name of Jesus to the, to the least of these is... So I do believe that one act of kindness in the face of the horror of mass evil is also significant. Mm. I think if we can somehow hold those intention, mm. then that, because the lie is, it is all going to hell and you can do nothing and yeah. God is powerless. Yeah. And that is murky waters that we can't end up in. And I think what Chris, I like about Chris is that there's an activism within him that is quite unique. You don't, you know, mm. there's very few of us that mm. have that. But I think because it is so profoundly rooted in a gospel of a God that makes all things new, I can also imagine that if God said to Chris, leave that now, Chris mm -hmm. would be like, you're all right. Yeah. Because although he holds, he is passionate, I, he he holds Jesus. He hold, And he trusts that Jesus has got this. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus says, lay this down now. And I think that's a really mm -hmm. good posture. So the, the sign of success, isn't it? It's not how much are we doing, mm -hmm. but... Are we doing this for the, not for the right reasons, but with the right recognition that we are limited. Yeah. But, and, and there might be times that we can speak and we can't speak, but we, we, when we can, we do, when we don't have the opportunity, we don't, or whatever it might be. I think there's something quite, that he's modeling quite well that I quite yeah. like, because it is overwhelming and it is, it is. And this episode may have been a little bit overwhelming for you, particularly <laughs> that last bit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, do take a time out and, and, and chat to someone um, do do better than I did and find someone to talk to about this stuff. But we hope that has been a helpful way of opening up some mm. of the enormous range of issues that we're talking about in this season. We'll be, we, we're not leaving it there. We've got many more episodes um, to come. But thank you for joining us um, and we will see you next time. Great stuff, Rachel. Um, thank you for that. I'm going to start again. <laughs> oh, no. It's all unraveled. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode in the Youthscape podcast in our new season, Into God Knows What. My name... It's not in the... Youth, it's not an episode in the Youthscape podcast. It's an episode of the Youthscape podcast. You've done it several times. I'm sorry. <laughs>